Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 47 of Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to be reading verses 17 and 18. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, some of the language here is very similar, and some of the words are identical to uh, what we read in verses 15 and 16. The command, uh, actually, the similarities are an angel or a messenger of God who is God, commands, um, in verses 15 and 16, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, to thrust in his sickle and reap. And, and, and the word thrust is the Greek word pempo, which is often translated as send in relationship to God sending his messengers. And, and, and so we have the same word for uh, thrust and the same word for sickle as well. And we took a look at the word sickle in the Old Testament and we saw in previous studies how it was related to the Hebrew word for roll, roll of a book or a scroll in which the Bible was written upon. In, in Jeremiah 36 when the Lord gave uh, Jeremiah instructions and or moved him to declare the things that are in the book of Jeremiah and Barak the scribe wrote them upon a roll of a book and that's how the Bible was written and and the word roll is very closely related to the Hebrew word for sickle and so God there is helping us to understand the sharp sickle and the word sharp if you remember related to the word of God. Uh, remember that scripture in Hebrews. In Hebrews 4, the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and God uses that word sharp a few places to describe his word. Well, here it's a sharp sickle that is to be put into the earth and reap. It's a instrument for harvest. And, and basically God is still using his word, but it is his word, uh, specifically, uh, tailored for judgment day. As the word of God now is, uh, all judgment, all wrath. It is the day of the Lord. Now, this word, um, also serves to feed the sheep of God because it's not necessary for the word of God to cut them unto salvation since all to be saved have been saved 
And, and therefore the, the people of God simply feed upon the truth of the scripture, which continues to come forth into the day of judgment. But for the rest of mankind, it is a sharp, uh, instrument of wrath for harvest. They are being harvested for destruction. And, and that's what's in view here. Well, verses 17 and 18, again, uh, repeat some of the same language. It, it's one messenger commanding another messenger, and, and both are God himself, the Lord Jesus, who is the judge of all the earth, and he's commanded, uh, as the angel came out from the altar, and we saw how that related, the altar related to Christ, and had power over fire, as the Lord Jesus has power over um, the the word of God. God has given him all authority uh, in regard to judgment. And cried with a loud cry to him, it says in verse 18, that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle. Now the word thrust in verse 18 is the same word, pempo, that was translated in verse 15. It's Strong's number 3992. You can look it up. It's only translated thrust here and elsewhere, send or sent. And, and so again, this is God sending forth his messengers who are the reapers, as Matthew 13 said, that the Lord Jesus will send his angels. Let me just read that again in verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels or messengers and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's the language of judgment. God paints the picture of his wrath differently there. It's a furnace of fire. Here in Revelation 14, in this passage, it is a wine press. But both um, pictures are teaching the same thing, the destruction of the unsaved people of the world. And verse 18 is describing the unsaved people of the world. The earlier verses where it spoke of the harvest of the earth is withered back in verse 15 had to do with the harvest that was ruined within the churches and congregations during the Great Tribulation, and um, that's where the harvest would be expected to be uh, seen. And and yet, as soon as God ended the church age and the Holy Spirit came out, it completely ruined the harvest and withered away. They had no water. There was no root. Christ had abandoned the church. And, and the sun scorched them. The wrath of God dried them up. And, and now their, their branches that do not abide in the vine, who is Christ, they've withered and they're only good for burning. And, and so the harvest of the earth is withered. The about two billion people that are in churches and congregations of the world completely withered. But that leaves another five billion about 
or we don't know the exact number, that are unsaved. Uh, we know that God saved tens of millions out of the entire world population. And even if God saved 200 million or 190 million people, that would still leave, if if the uh, Christian church numbered about 2 billion, that would leave 4 billion 800 or 850 million people that are also unsaved in the world. They're not professed Christians, but they're other religions or they're no religion. Whatever they are, it, it really makes no difference as far as God's concerned because there was one way, one truth, one Savior, and if they're not saved by the Lord, if, if they have not followed that narrow way as a result, then they've gone the broad way, and the broad way, you can go to the left on the broad way, or you can go to the right, or or you can go really far out, or maybe even a little closer to the narrow way, but you're still on the broad way, no matter where you are located in that wide path, and it all all those roads lead to destruction. So the Muslim path leads to destruction, and the Hindu, and the Buddhist, and the atheist, and the agnostic, and, and so forth. Every single other path in the world, in, in all the world of people that think, if I go this way, this is a right and good way, It'll take me to heaven, or this is the way I want to live my life. Every path outside of Christ will finally lead to either the furnace of fire or or the winepress of the wrath of God, and it will lead to utter destruction, complete annihilation forevermore. And that end of the wicked will reveal their error will reveal their foolishness will reveal that they were wrong in in all that they did in all that they said in all of their uh, religious statements in all of their other gospels or in all of their their um, proud thinking in lifting themselves up and above the word of god the bible or thinking they didn't need the word of god the bible thinking they, uh, they would be the ones that would govern their own selves and rule their own life. And yet, finally, the end proves and shows forth the terrible error of every unsaved person. And, and, and this is what Judgment Day is uh, going to bring about. It will show that God's way was not only the true way, but the right way. And it was the worthwhile way. Yes, there was tribulation, which was normative for all the people of God, and there was great tribulation that came at the time of the end, and through much tribulation the people of God enter into the kingdom of heaven. But at that point, And that point is getting closer and closer at hand. At that point, when God finally fulfills his word, shows that he is a faithful God, 
that his word is true and faithful and can be trusted wholeheartedly, that when God finally um, does what he has said he would do uh, throughout the Bible, that he will destroy this world, he will create a new heaven and new earth, he will equip his people with a new resurrected body in which they will live forever eternally with him in a glorious state. Once God accomplishes those things, then it is a fact that every one of the people of God will greatly praise him, glorify him, and lift up his name forevermore. And what the Bible says about the, the troubles of this life not being worthy to be compared with that glorious future will show itself and be proven correct. Now in um, 2 Corinthians 4, God says in verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that that is commentary from the eternal, everlasting God, whose habitation is eternity. He dwells in the whole spectrum of existence. He knows the end from the beginning. And therefore, knowing the end, knowing the final destruction of this world, knowing the the ultimate exaltation and glorification of his people, as he will lift them up as he lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ into, into, um, the heavenlies and, and knowing all the, uh, wonderful, abundant spiritual riches that he will lavish upon his people forever and ever and ever. God makes this statement and he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, now, how long's a moment? Well, snap your fingers or, or count the one. And before you count the one, a moment has passed. It, it is as short and as quick of a period of time that we can think of or that, that we can speak of. Of course, in our modern day, they speak of nanoseconds, but come on. Th- this is the word of God, the Bible. God doesn't need all that kind of language. He's he's uh, illustrating uh, a very important point that this whole life, which may seem very long to us if if we're going through difficulties and trials and tribulations and afflictions physically or emotionally or financially or um, maybe we are uh, tormented somehow in, in the sense of the word of, of being disturbed or, or things are, are just troublesome for us. No matter what, no matter how great any of that is, and, and we, we can't deny and wouldn't deny that with some people, they go through an incredible amount 
perhaps, of affliction and tribulation and so forth. Uh, just look at Job. Yet, you can pick the, the worst amount of, of tribulation that anyone has ever experienced. And the most tremendous amount of affliction and, and say, this is the life this poor soul lived. And should we pity him? Not for a second. That's why the Lord Jesus gave us the parable of Lazarus, who, who was like, uh, who was a beggar, full of sores, and all oh, the world pities poor Lazarus. Yet God doesn't pity him, and neither should we. And we shouldn't pity ourselves, because God says, Whatever amount of uh, difficulties we are presently experiencing, and for however long of our life we do experience them, this moment may be 10 years for some, 50 years for others, 90 years for others. Well, however long, it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It, it's the idea of uh, that weight. Um, it, it's sort of like the idea of all the sand on all the seashores compared to one grain. There is glory. There is eternity with, with uh, the trillions upon trillions upon trillions of sand that are on all the beaches. And here is this temporal existence, this life typified by that one grain. Or one drop of the oceans and all the other uh, amounts of water are eternity. Uh, th- this is not uh, an exaggeration. It is an accurate comparison because eternity goes on and on and on without end forevermore. And, and here we've only lived a few short years. And then it comes to an end. And and so God tells us, all right, keep your thoughts, keep your eyes on things above, on things that aren't seen, but they're true. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not true and, and can't be counted on. No, they're very true. You have to lay your life and, and lean back and trust in the everlasting arms of Almighty God who has spoken these things, the God that cannot lie, he's declared them in his word, and therefore look to them and trust in them, rather than the things that you see. The things that we see in this world are very deceptive, very deceitful things. The world uh, tries to allure and and to show itself as though it is everything. When in reality, it's extremely very, very little. Alright, well, um, in Revelation 14, in verse 18, again, it says, And the angel cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Send in thy sharp sickle, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, um, some of the words appear the same here, but but they're they're different. Or actually, the word "ripe," where it's translated "fully ripe," is a different word 
and the word ripe in verse 15 that uh, should have been translated as withered, the Greek word here, uh, which is translated in English, the two English words fully ripe, is a translation of one Greek word, which is Strong's number 187, and it's only used here. Now that's also the case for the word clusters. Uh, a little earlier in the verse, the clusters of the vine of the earth. Clusters is only found here. And that makes it more difficult because we want God to define words for us. And and so when a word is used elsewhere, then we we go and we search and compare Scripture with Scripture and, and definition begins to come forth. But here we have to go to the Old Testament in order to understand um, clusters in Numbers 13. In Numbers chapter, it says in verse 21 and following, So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Telmei, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshkol, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshkol, because of the cluster of grapes, which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. Well, here the Hebrew word cluster is related to the Hebrew word for Eshkel. The the name of the place, or the brook of Eshkel, is called Eshkel because it means cluster. It's spelled exactly the same as cluster in the Hebrew. And, and we can see the picture. They came into the promised land. And, and first they saw the children of Anak, which were giants. And that's going to cause them, ten of the twelve, except for Joshua and Caleb, will return with an evil report. Uh, oh, they're afraid because the sons of Anak are there. And they're giants. We were in their sight as caterpillars, they'll say. And they, they, they don't want to go in and take the land. And, and so the Lord will judge Israel and cause them to wander 40 years in the wilderness, a year for each day they search the land. But they also brought back the fruit of the land or, or the harvest. And they, they found a cluster of grapes and notice that they bear it between two upon a staff. So this wasn't a little cluster. It had to be pretty big in order for uh, it, it to take two men to carry it on a staff back with them. And and that's the idea of a cluster. Now, in Revelation 14, we read again at the end of verse 18, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For her grapes are fully ripe. And this is speaking of gathering the clusters of the vine of the earth. 
and normally we we associate the vine with Christ because this is what Jesus said in John 15 he said in uh, John 15:1 I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman and then in verse 4 through 6 abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me I am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned so the lord likens himself to the vine and the fruit grows on the vine you uh, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself if it doesn't abide to the vine it it might as well fall to the ground and wither and uh, of course here Christ is really speaking of abiding in the word of god continuing in the word of god as john 8:31 says those that fail to continue in the word, uh, they are not the people of God. Well, in Deuteronomy 32, Jesus said he is the true vine, but uh, that doesn't mean he's the only vine. In Deuteronomy 32, it says in verse 32, For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. And there we, we have the word clusters again. And notice, their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Now in Deuteronomy 32, the Lord is mainly addressing the people of Israel who have gone after other gods and they've developed other gospels, basically, and it, it does picture what the New Testament church would do. When they go after other gospels, they have another vine, and, and it is not the vine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we, we would have to understand, since Revelation 14 is describing people under the wrath of God, that, that's certain, since they're cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God to be trodden underfoot. It cannot be speaking of true believers. So it cannot be speaking of the true vine. It must be another vine. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.